Welcome to HCS Talks. I'm your host, Superintendent of Hampton City Schools, Raymond Haynes. This is a Hampton City Schools podcast. If it's important to students, teachers, parents, the community, or anything that has to do with education, we hope to cover it on HCS Talks. The goal is to inform, educate, and even entertain you. Today, we are going to talk about climate and culture and social-emotional learning, as these topics are important, perhaps now more than ever. Making sure we are connecting climate and culture with social-emotional learning is essential to academic development, equity, social and emotional development, trauma-informed practices, and restorative approaches. For these reasons, Hampton City Schools' strategic plan has encompassed creating and maintaining a safe and nurturing learning environment for well over a decade. Additionally, we have had an intentional focus on climate and culture and social emotional learning for the past six years to support the strategic plan. Additionally, we have had an intentional focus on climate and culture and social emotional learning for the past six years to support the strategic plan. Here with me today is Heather Peterson, the Division's Director of Climate and Culture, to talk to us about her work, how these practices are embedded in our teaching and learning, and really how important climate and culture is in our daily lives. So, Ms. Peterson, thank you for joining us on HCS Talks. Before we begin our discussion on climate and culture and social-emotional learning, introduce yourself to our listening audience and tell us about yourself. Thanks, Dr. Haynes. So this is my 21st year with Hampton City Schools. Um, My work is very day-to-day. I love it. I'm out in buildings working with students and staff, supporting how we build positive relationships and create that positive teaching and learning environment for both young people and adults that support the ever-important teaching and learning that happens in our division. So are you from this area? So I grew up in Newport News, actually, went to all the Newport News public schools, went to George Mason, um, and then got my master's degree from George Washington. So, And you've been with Hampton City Schools, you said, for 21 years. Yes, sir. Wow. So, Ms. Peterson, explain to us what is social-emotional learning and what is the difference between climate and culture and social-emotional learning, especially because those words get interchanged often. Yes. Let's start with climate and culture. Oftentimes, those are the two words that most often get interchanged, but let's break that down. So, when we think about climate, climate is the environment, right? So, what it feels like on a Monday morning versus what it feels like on a Friday afternoon. Right now, we're in one of those places where the climate it's in a space where people are looking forward to, you know, breaks. And so it always ebbs and flows when we think about the climate, right? And then the key piece really is our culture. And when we talk about our culture, it's those values and those beliefs. It's what we really need to tend to, because when we have that strong and positive culture, it lets us weather some of those not so great climate days. Right. And then when we think about layering that social emotional piece on there. So when we think about social emotional learning, what it really is, it's a process. It's a process both for adults and young people when we think about understanding our emotions, managing them, thinking about how they impact others, how we build our relationships and how we make those caring and responsible decisions. I'm glad you brought up the part about adults as well, because when we talk about this work, it's not just about the young people. We're talking about our 
our staff members as well. So it's critically important that we address it from all facets in terms of social, emotional learning, uh, climate and culture. As we know, when folks enjoy coming to a place where they're employed, more than likely they will stay with us. Absolutely. And when we think about teaching and learning, it's an emotional business. Right. And it's not something that we reach a pinnacle as adults where we don't need to develop that skill anymore. And so, again, the greatest thing for us, too, is that our adults get to model this for our young people. So it's so important that again, like you said, that we're focusing on this and it's not a program, it's not an initiative, it's really a process that then supports our climate and culture because if people have a better command over their social emotional skills, it's going to positively impact that climate and culture. Absolutely. So why does this work matter? Why should this be a priority or as we say, equally as important as academics? So we talk about a portrait of graduate here in Hampton all of the time. It's what our work is based on when we think about the academy's model. And as we prepare young people to be college career and life ready, we talk about the fact that social emotional learning really is the canvas that that portrait sits on. That if young people don't develop those skills, they're not going to be college career nor life ready. And I feel like the life ready is really our moral imperative in education to get young people prepared for that. So more than ever with what young people face between social media, um, where we've been with COVID over the past several years, and just even thinking about mental health in some respects, more than ever we need to equip them so that they can be great citizens as they you know, step into those next phases of their life. And also while they're with us, right? Adults can't be everything to everyone. So when we equip them to be good peers with one another and build those relationships, again, we're setting them up for success once they leave us to step into the next phase. So we talk about all the skills that they need. And oftentimes when we talk about the portrait of the Hampton graduate, it, it lends itself to us going beyond young people getting dual enrollment credits or verified credits, or whatever they need to walk across the stage. When we came up with this portrait of a Hampton graduate, it talked about what should our young people know, understand, and be able to do. And those characteristics that I outlined, and like you mentioned, the canvas behind all of that is making certain that they are socially and emotionally prepared for life after high school, life in general. And years ago, it was sort of taboo to talk about mental health or mental wellness. And right now, it's imperative that we address it head on and making certain that we put structures and systems in place to ensure young people and adults are taking care of themselves from this aspect. One of the traits that, it's, that is in the portrait of a Hampton graduate is a positive sense of self. So just talk a little bit about that. You were reading my mind. I was just going to say that's the most paramount piece. If we think about a young person can have great command of their academic skills, they can prove that they're able to successfully master something academically. But if they're not able to translate that because their self-perception is one of a lack of confidence, for instance, we also have young people that have this sense of learned helplessness that I'll just sit back and then, you know, someone will do it for me in some instances. Um, And again, just the fact of being willing to try new in hard things. And so when we have that positive sense of self, it means that someone's helped me to identify what my strengths are and that I can align those strengths with things that I see beyond what's happening in a school building. And so as I step out and traverse into spaces outside of education, then how I'm able to apply, right? There's one thing to be able to identify, but being able to apply really builds, I think, that purpose of self. And I think we need to make certain that we are talking about this portrait of a Hampton graduate as young people enter elementary years. And it's not just something we're saying, oh, we want all these characteristics defined once you enter high school. We're looking at this whole K-12 initiative and, and, and being a whole 
transformational model starting as early as pre-K. So how do we look at doing things like that at the elementary level as well? So the elementary level really is a goldmine for this work. It's it's where it most event developmentally appropriately fits. It's where we start those foundational pieces um, and really helping our teachers again to understand how they use those teachable moments. Um, again, one of the things we've been so intentional about is not just purchasing a curriculum and saying social emotional learning happens for 15 minutes on a Monday at two o'clock, for instance. We've said this is something that should be happening anytime, anywhere. And so really equipping our adults to recognize and to utilize those moments. And again, the first place to do that is to be able to start modeling that. So even when you go to a Moton Early Childhood Center and you hear teachers saying, okay, everybody, I think we need to all stop and take five quick breaths. Right. That is a space to say, we can't battering ram through these emotions. Sometimes we have to take a timeout and all of us have to reset. And sometimes the adults need it even more than the students do, if we're being honest. Oh, I agree. And, and I'm sure that they recognize that as well. And it helps to make certain that we develop a very healthy and nurturing uh, learning environment for our young people and staff. So what intentional types of resources and supports do we have in place for this work? I know you mentioned some things already. If you care to elaborate on sure. some specifics. One of the things I love about the work we do in Hampton is how we support our new teachers. Um, we have a phenomenal um, induction program that traverses right into teacher leadership, but that ongoing support. So day one, when we have new teachers that step foot in Hampton City Schools, one of the things they immediately hear about is creating a safe and nurturing environment. And then what gets poured into that climate and culture, and then how we provide those supports with social emotional learning. So for the first three years, they're intentionally throughout the year getting support that directly relates to the climate and culture they're creating in their classrooms, their own social emotional skills, and then how they build those in young people. And then as they move into teacher leadership, just again, growing those skills. So that's one of the ways that we so do that. So teacher leadership does not necessarily mean they're looking to aspire to go in an administrative position. So talk a little bit about that as well. So teacher leadership is where we really want to support those teachers who want to stay right in that classroom. But what we know is more than ever, we need those people who are in the trenches to bring voice to help be part of the leadership of yes. the building, but not necessarily leaving the classroom in order to do that. All right. So other things, other resources sure. and supports? So um, several years ago, we intentionally created um, a social emotional learning virtual toolkit for our teachers, which is in its third iteration now. Um, so just quick activities that are pre-developed or videos or things that teachers can easily implement. So that's a, a standing um, tool, if you will. And then about once or twice a month, we send out an electronic version of cell tips. Again, quick, easy um, activities, questions, prompts, things for teachers that they can immediately implement into the classroom. So those are some of the big ones. And then we offer optional professional learning, typically in the summer and sometimes throughout the year, pushing into classrooms, um, doing, you know, working with collaborative learning teams, sometimes working with school leadership teams. So just figuring the best way that we can permeate this work throughout the buildings. So I know we have climate coaches. Talk a little bit about what they do and the impact they're making. Sure. So each building has a climate coach. Our high schools have two climate coaches and some of our larger middle schools. Um, they really are what I like to refer to as disciples or stewards of the work. They have their own full-time positions. This is a stipend position, um, but it's really one in which it helps to promote based on their school's individual needs, thinking about what is their focus around the work of climate and culture. They come at least twice a year for some um, training and development with an administrator from their building so it can be a collaborative approach 
of what are really the different priorities in our buildings because we have to take a differentiated approach. One size doesn't fit all in this work. And so our climate coaches help to keep that a priority back in the buildings. What type of feedback are you getting from uh, staff members in regards to all the resources we have with the toolkit, tips, and the coaches? So people are, are definitely appreciative of the support. Um, I think, again, it's an ongoing comfortability in this type of work. So how we continue to think of different ways. I often tell teachers you have to use your authentic lens because um, students know when we're not being authentic, but it doesn't mean we don't stretch and that we don't try. I think people really appreciate having things that can be customizable, but that are already created for them because they have so much um, that they're trying to accomplish. And so we just continue to ask for their feedback um, but also things that are meaningful to young people. Our middle and high school students, usually it's a little bit more um, tough to hook them right. um, because it's not TikTok or it's not Snapchat. Right. So that is one of my goals when I think about where we're going with this work is how do we get more student voice? Um, so I'm, I'm looking at collaborating with some young people from Hampton High School and Bethel High School so that they can help me to identify and create activities through their lens so really they become the authors of some of this work also. Nothing like having student voice involved in all of this as well. And I can't say enough about how critically important it is is to make certain we maintain a safe and nurturing environment. Um, one of the things the board has charged me with is making certain that I keep the main thing the main thing. And folks often think that just simply means our core business of teaching and learning, but it is synonymous with fostering a healthy climate and culture and, and safe and nurturing school environment as well. So we talk about tiered levels of support and tiered levels of instruction in terms of the instructional ledger, but Talk a little bit about how we're tiering things from the climate and culture side as well. Sure. So we've been super intentional about focusing on the preventative side of the house, which is really our tier one, um, and helping people to understand that young people, whether they're four or 18, are constantly going to be you know, needing to hear what the expectations are and teaching them those expectations. And certainly when we think about the behaviors that we want young people to master, what are the skills necessary, right? Think about our standards of learning. They're skills right. that help us to teach so they can master the standard. Really getting people to think about the same thing on the behavior side of the house. So if we're intervening or reteaching, we're just not saying be respectful. We're saying here's yes. the skill that you need necessary and for that. And this is what it looks like. Absolutely. And then when we get up to needing more um, you know, strict or stronger interventions at tier two and tier three, we can be much more specific in that so that we can meet the needs of the young people instead of just kind of a blanket approach. And that no matter where a young person is, they still get those tier one supports. Even if they're, you know, challenging us in different ways, we don't stop providing those universal and preventative supports to our young people. And so for our listening audience, how intentional have we been in embedding these things into our curriculum? So one of the places that you naturally can embed this very easily is in our language, arts, and English curriculums. When we talk about identifying characters or we talk about themes or we talk about main idea, so many of that can relate to, again, relationship skills or decision-making or how a character might have been empathetic. And also when we think about our social studies and history curriculum, thinking about walking through history and seeing some you know, folks who've actually implemented these skills on a daily basis. So those are two great places. And then when we think about our math mindset, Right. where so many young people, including myself back in the day, um, you know, didn't have that positive sense of self when it comes to math. Right. So how we build that. And then even with science, when we think about things like the scientific investigation, um, 
those are steps when we even think about managing our skills and emotions. So I would imagine that you're doing a lot of work in collaboration with the curriculum instruction and assessment folks to make certain that we're more deliberate and intentional in delivering opportunities or activities across the curriculum. Yes, I do get opportunities. Um, One of the big areas we've been focusing on, too, is around that sense of belonging and mattering. And so really working with curriculum folks to talk about how can we intentionally make sure that we're giving young people the opportunity to have more turn and talk. Or even when we think about things we do with our project-based learning, again, how we're giving them the skills so they can successfully work together and not just assuming because we say group, they're going to know how to do it. Right. And then there's also intentional work with school counselors and things that they have deeply in embedded into their curriculum too. So I think it all merges quite nicely and, and it shows that we are intentional about this work too. So how has this grown, especially looking at our academies and K-12 instruction? And you spoke a little bit about some of this already. Right. No, I, I again, I think one of the things that we've been with this word intentionality is that we started this work over six years ago. And so when we think about where we started to where we've gone, we had a strategic plan in place for this. We've known that we wanted to go slow to go fast. And more than anything, our messaging has been that this is part of the way we do business. That when we think about climate and culture, it's the plate that everything sits on. And this aspect of social emotional learning is what strengthens our plate. And so as we think about now being the wall-to-wall academies and bringing it down to the elementary level, that foundational piece more than ever, that if we can prepare young people pre-K through five to do that self-management and understanding piece, to do that career exploration, and again, that community exploration, that's just going to help them make even more informed decisions as they get to middle and high school, and what they think, again, knowing what they do well and where they want to go, how they can make the best choices when it comes to some of their future opportunities. So where would you like to see this work go? future of climate and culture and social emotional learning. I I just, I think that um, I would, as I mentioned earlier, I think my number one priority is more student voice. We do a student um, survey where we get student perception for sure, Um, but my best experiences over the past two years have been when I go out with young people and do focus groups and allow their voice to really put some definition behind the work that we need to do. How do you connect with an adult in your building? What does it mean to matter and to belong? And just hearing from them, and then how do we grow this work with them is really really what I want to see the future of this work to be. So where they're actually doing more peer mentoring and where they're taking the reins around some of this work. So I know that um, you do a lot of work in collaboration with, like I mentioned, the school counselors and the school social workers and teachers and administrators. One of the things I know we're working towards is making certain we have some systems and structures around restorative practices or restorative justice, and I know I should not be using justice and practice synonymously because there is a difference. So can you speak a little bit about what the next steps are in this work as well? So when we talk about all this work we've done around social-emotional learning, social-emotional learning strong practices really help us to have both a a trauma-informed environment as well as a a more restorative environment. And again, restoration allows us to repair harm to the community. Certainly, we're not saying young people don't need consequences when poor choices are made. However, what we find is removal doesn't change behavior when they re-enter. And so when we have a restorative space, it can be something as simple as at an elementary 
elementary school, people didn't get along on the playground. And so we come back and we have a conversation. How can we prevent that from happening right. again? And then, you know, as we get deeper into some other issues, what we're really saying is, You've caused harm, but what do we need to make this better? Right. And so how we equip young people to be able to start to identify and have those conversations and how we shift the culture in our buildings so that staff are supporting young people right. to help them execute and change behaviors as opposed to just focusing on what might be those consequences. And I'm glad you mentioned you have to shift some mindsets in regards to uh, what the administrators are doing in their work as well, because... I've always seen when young people make poor choices, the goal is to change or correct the behavior. So oftentimes you have to have a more restorative mindset in doing this work as well. So looking forward to that collaboration and what it will look like for Hampton City Schools because, you know, we're all about making certain we have systems and structures put in place. So regardless of who comes in, they're able to pick up that playbook and, and, and execute it accordingly. And we know we'll make some different adjustments as time goes along and then as we get more informed about best practices around that work too. Absolutely. And one of the things I love about Hampton is we have people who are doing this work, yes. right? And so how we take those best practices and we spread them across our right. division. So and I know uh, Dr. Gaynor will get on me if I keep using justice and practice interchangeably. So care to speak to a little bit about that? So when we talk about the restorative practices piece, that is more focusing on the community and the change in behavior where justice may be more about um, the, the policies or more about uh, things like people often hear that and think about restitution, right. where the goal with a restorative approach or practice is really about the community side of right. it and instilling and getting the behaviors to support the community. Excellent. Thank you so much for clearing that up, Ms. Peterson. Now, as we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to share? Just that... Um, how powerful it is when we really do um, focus and appreciate and nurture what we value and believe and what we say um, matters most in Hampton City Schools. And I think that when we are able to support first and foremost our adults so that they can support our young people, that is the main thing. That's the main thing. And that will lead us to that academic success that we, that we strive for every day. Wholeheartedly, I agree with you. So I certainly thank you for your time. And it's always great to talk with you about climate and culture and social emotional learning. Most people know I have a counseling background as well. So this is music to my ears. So thank you once again for joining me today and sharing some more information about the importance of climate and culture as well as social emotional learning and how Hampton City Schools is intentionally focusing on this important work. I'm sure our listening audience has gleaned some important information from you today. And to our listeners, remember, education is the most powerful weapon you can use to change the world. As one community, one transformation, we will ensure academic excellence for every child, every day, whatever it takes. We will catch you next week. Listen to learn more about Hampton City Schools. New episodes of HCS Talks drop on Thursdays. Subscribe and listen to HCS Talks. HCS Talks is a Hampton City Schools production.